Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Welcome to episode 138 of Smart Enough to Know Better. We're a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. I'm Gregoire. And in this episode, I will be doing some baking. And I'm going to check in on Oumuamua. And then I'm going to be doing some freezing. And then we're going to do an interview about space, space, space. But before we get to that, what happened to you this week in science? People might remember our interview with Dr. Michelle Bannister talking about the interstellar visitor, the asteroid that came barreling in from interstellar space that made everyone agog, a buzz. Never heard of it. Michelle Bannister, you say? No. Yes, friend no, of the show. Not, not ringing friend a bell. Friend of the show. No. Been on quite a few times. Transneptunian mm. object, Michelle Bannister. No, not ringing any. You're going to get in lots of trouble. You're going to get lots of trouble. Uh, I so, should, I'll oh. check in with that uh, Gregoire guy and see what. <laughs> so continue on, Colin. Amumu was the cigar shaped interstellar object that came crashing through the solar system, and everyone's excited. It was. We think it's somewhere between three to ten times longer than it is wide. And people went, that sounds like a spaceship. And it, it probably wasn't. It's probably just a giant rock based on all the light, as Dr. Michelle Bannister told us, bouncing off it. But in an interesting little side use of science, at the International Center for Radio Astronomy Research, they looked back through data from the Murchison Widefield Array, which is a, a radio telescope array in Western Australia, near where I live. And they went, well, hang on a minute. If this thing was putting out signals... Our array telescope is pretty much always scanning the sky. So let's look back uh, in the radio frequencies that we look at to see if it was actually transmitting quietly before we could see it. So you look through the data that already existed mm-hmm. and see if it was quietly sending out signals as it came barreling into the solar system. Maybe it was now, like... When you say hey, sending out signals, you mean reflecting yes. signals. No, 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 no. Actually, actually sending out signals. So that's what they were checking for. They were checking to see if it was uh, broadcasting at 72 to 102 megahertz. So uh, and it's basically what's radio, that, like, the, is that like AM? You mean like alien, FM, FM alien radio. talk radio? Oh, so like FM, alien, FM, alien rock cool. and roll. Yeah, alien rock and roll, yeah. A- FM radio stations, uh, yeah, basically looking at, that's, when, that's basically the frequencies they can look at for that sort of stuff. They could look back through observations right back from November, December, and early January, and when, when Muamua was like 95 million to about 500 million kilometers from Earth. So before people were looking at it and seeing it, they could just see if the aliens were going, shh, everyone go quiet. We're going to zoom past. We're not going to say a word, and we're going to make sure that we trick them as we go through the solar system because we're, we're tricksy alien kind of people. Yeah, they wouldn't uh, have some they- sort of intranet to, to like send that information out. They had to broadcast it on an FM bandwidth. Yeah, well, you know, who knows? We have to check these things. Well, as uh, Professor Chinge from Icarus said, the chances of finding anything was almost zero to none. But scientists shouldn't dismiss things. It's, don't be biased. You've got to check these sort of things. And guess what they found? Aliens. Nothing. They nothing. found nothing at okay. all. It was quiet as the grave. Yep. It's not a spaceship. The, it's they're not using their intranet. It's not, it, yeah, or they were firing lasers, or they could use telepathy, or whatever it is. Or they were doing, maybe they're just doing voodoo. They, they were sending messages by chicken guts because they're advanced magicians. Ah, Who so, knows? The, so these aliens are ambling down the things and going to a, its local bone casting machine and yeah. like pressing, and yeah. bones come out and they go, oh, look at that. All right, everyone quiet. No more. Yep. Everyone turn off their FM radios. These <laughs> bones say that there are aliens on this planet we're about to whiz past. <laughs> So all these things are possible, but they look back through data and they discovered nothing at all. Okay. But I like this because 
it explains why we keep data because sometimes with a lot of this data, it's got to be kept for up to 50 years. And here's why, because someone gets a bright idea and goes, let's check back through the data and see what we can find. We didn't think of that all the time before, especially when you now know something was in the sky that you didn't know was there that might've been transmitting. So anyway, you can use these radio telescopes after the fact, which is kind of cool. I remember hearing when everyone went to digital cameras, all these news people, they'd go through their old news go, Oh, that's garbage. I'll just get rid of that. But the people who were still shooting in film, they just they had all this film left over that they weren't throwing in the bin. Because like, well, it's film, I, it's a thing, so I guess I'll store it. Which worked out really well for those people when the Monica Lewinsky scandal happened, because all the people with film were able to go back through their film and find pictures of Clinton and Lewinsky together when that uh, when stuff was happening, and go, this photo must have happened at the time that it was happening. Uh, yes. but no one else kept those photos. Yeah. It, well, you do a habit of just getting rid of things. I, th- I think it's reached the next point now where you just shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and you don't really care. Storage is so, cheap. Yeah, we, we've come, we've kind of gone round around the other side now where we're like, I'll just keep a hundred photos. I'll just burst, and you may catch it in the background, Loch Ness or you know Nessie in the background. You didn't even notice, and then many years later, someone's like, Hmm, Dan was at Loch Ness. Oh my God, the monsters in the background. So yeah, it's it's um. <laughs> We reached that point, I think. Yeah. Uh, my what about t- your week in science? My TV died. Aww. It broke. Aww. You could still put a USB thing in and, like, watch a movie off a USB stick. You could still, Good. like, turn on the, the free-to-air television. But why, why would anyone why do would, that? Why? Why would why? you do I only had the TV so I could use the HDMI channel and pipe computer signal in and, like, Netflix and stuff. Yeah. So the HDMI port died. All of them just wouldn't work anymore in the middle of a right. show. And I'm like, well, why is that? And I looked up online. Apparently, this model has this thing where after a couple of years, the HDMI dies because there's something wrong with the solder. And and the only way to fix it, like this, and I'm like seven years in, there's no warranty or anything. The only way to fix it, you take the motherboard and you need the solder to reconnect, like that microscopically small solder. How do you reckon I would do that? Uh, Shake it. Shake it. Yes. Well, no, because, I mean, solder's a stone and it's like, on the board, it's like it's fractured and stuck to the board. It's not like loosey goosey. Look, look, I find technical tapping and and uh, scientific shaking works yeah, on many. Bang it on the side of the TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Punch it. Yeah, that's it. Punch it. Hey, yeah. this is punch. a this is a delicate piece of technical engineering. Look, I am not going to. I'm not going to shake it and punch it, Gregoire. Dan, Dan, it's a seven-year-old television. It might as well be made in the dark ages. I mean, seven years ago, I'm assuming it wasn't even a smart television. It was. Uh, it was not that smart. Like yes. it kept kept like answering the door when Mormons would come. Oh um, no! It got into oh. multi-level marketing. Oh, not a did, smart did it get TV into Bitcoin? It got into Bitcoin. I bet it got into Bitcoin. Oh it no! It couldn't even work out how it worked. Oh, well, yeah. that's, that's lucky then, I guess. It's sort of. Wait, hmm. is Bitcoin not smart? Because my current TV. Oh shit! <laughs> Okay, I'm back. Some of our listeners are already writing emails going, Dear Gregoire, Bitcoin's an amazing thing and not a Ponzi scheme at all. I hate you. So please, fine, fine, please do that. None of our listeners are dumb enough to fall for that. <laughs> None of them are. They're, they're, they're all sensible human beings who are eager to donate to our Patreon and to tell their <laughs> friends about our Patreon. But we don't accept Bitcoin. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I only want fiat currency backed by governments. Thank you very much. Okay, so my delicate television 
needed some sort of fix to get that solder to reconnect, I looked up on the internet, the only solution, and a solution that works for pretty much everyone, is you take the TV apart, you take the motherboard out, and that Mm -hmm. super small silicon needs to rejoin. So all you've got to do, all you've got to do is heat up that silicon just enough that it becomes slightly more fluid and reconnects. Oh, no. Giggling. Fire fire and electronics, man. That sounds great to me. What could go wrong? Hey, no, no. It's water and electronics is the problem. Fire is how you make electronics. Oh, I see. Take basically set fire to a beach and you get a smart television. And how you fix electronics. So I take the motherboard out. I carefully take all the plugs off and I heat the oven up to the melting point of solder and I... I followed the instructions on the internet and I put the motherboard in the oven for, I think, about eight to ten minutes. I see. Okay. So the plan is that the solder's going to melt, reconnect. I'll be able to put that motherboard back in the telly and it'll all work fine. Mm. Gregoire, do you mm. think that my TV worked fine? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go so far to say not only does your TV not work fine, that your oven no longer works either. The oven is working better than ever. Oh, right. The motherboard on the TV apparently has some plastic components. <laughs> now, all the important stuff is like solid rock stuff that doesn't melt. But plastic, mm. the melting point of plastic substantially less than the melting point of solder. Now, in my defense, everyone online found that their motherboards didn't have plastic components. Mine oh. did. My plastic components right. held the heat sink onto the motherboard. And had made a little door for the audio ports. So when I took it out, the heat sinks had popped off and attached yeah. themselves to the oven. So now the oven Good. has heat sinks, and that's why it's working that's so good. well. That's, 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 what, uh, that's what an oven needs. That's what an oven Somebody needs, needs to be cooler. And, <laughs> and the audio jacks had sealed themselves shut. So it's like an Apple product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's only one mouse button on it, too. That's so. Right. <laughs> So that TV went to the tip, and I bought a new TV. Can I give you an example, though, when, it, when you read these things online and you try them and it works? My well, hang on, hang on, hang on, oh, j- oh. hang on. My iPad is just about out of power. Hang on, I'm just going to microwave this for, for 30 seconds. <laughs> so what did you do at work? Oh, yes. So my speakers, my computer speakers, I've had for quite a long time, they, they just switch off. Even though they're still on, they just crackle, 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 and they switch off. And I was like, oh, I have to go buy some new ones, and it'll cost money. And uh, So I was just checking online to see. It doesn't happen all the time. It's intermittent. It just doesn't have any reason for it. And people said, oh, it's, it's something that these things do. They do them out of the box sometimes. It's just a well-known thing of these sort of speakers. And they said, and the one person said, it's really easy fix. You've just got to blow air through them. I was like, no, that's not a thing. Like, like so a said, Nintendo no. cartridge? Yeah, so you say, hold up to your mouth, switch off the power, and blow through the power button as hard as you can, because what's happening is dust and rubbish and crap is getting in and breaking the connection of the button, or it's shorting it out. Uh So if you blow all the rubbish out, then it will work. And so I tried it, and it works. So I've got at least another, at least six months more work out of my speakers. Just every so often, I have to tenderly kiss my speakers. So it's, um, it's really weird, but it, but, it, and, and it, but it works really, really well. So there you go. So sometimes the internet doesn't lead you astray. It doesn't work well for Nintendo cartridges, though, because apparently oh, okay. when you, the fact that it worked meant that people were pulling it out and just pushing it back in again, and the connection was better. And so it had nothing to do with dust on the sensors. In fact, when people were blowing into it, 
small amounts of moisture were getting on it and making it rust, and it was actually slightly detrimental to the cartridge to blow on it. I love the fact you're telling this to our listeners who probably don't even know what a Nintendo is. <laughs> well, they, they know Mario. You but know I what didn't... a Nintendo is? Nintendo's been around for like 180 years. You know, the well, card well, game but... company. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, James Gilmore, co-founder and director of Gilmore Space Technologies. Thanks for having me. Now, just to give some context for our audience, they will know that I am a little bit obsessed with Elon Musk, and they will know that I am really interested in space technologies. I'm not, I'm not a big fan. Well, that's what you're not. No, keep space where it is. That's up, <laughs> there. 160 kilometres away. It's terrifying. I'd rather be locked in a room full of dinosaurs <laughs> because they are non-threatening that's these right. days. All very feathery. Now, people know that I'm interested in this sort of thing, and I noticed a couple of about a month and a half ago that New Zealand's Rocket Labs launched something called the Electron Rocket, which is a, a smaller rocket able to deliver small satellites into space. What? And uh, only for about twenty two thousand dollars a kilogram. But. But New Zealand, we make fun of them That's for right. all of the sheep shagging. Exactly right. Well, how would they, how do yeah. they have a, a, a space program and we don't? That's what, and that's what I was thinking. Now, admittedly, mm-hmm. a lot of New Zealand is closer to space than Australia. <laughs> it is. And maybe it's part of, their, part of their power. Now, I thought, what is Australia doing? There's a, maybe a potential in the future, an Australian space agency. And then I realised in Queensland, very close to where Dan now lives, is... Gilmore Space Technologies. I got on to James. He very kindly said he'd speak to us. So, James Gilmore, you have a company that wants to put things into space. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, Cometh, the Australian space renaissance, Cometh uh, Gilmore Space. Mm. So, yeah, we are looking to compete globally, but also support a domestic market. And essentially, we're looking to uh, design and build low-cost hybrid rockets to support these small satellite and underserviced small satellite industry. Because at the moment, let's say I had a, a CubeSat or, or a PicoSat that I wanted to send mm-hmm. into yep. orbit, a small, sat, a small satellite. A I know, small I know what you're talking about. <laughs> small. But for the listener's yep. benefit. <laughs> so something that's something that's like a kilogram, a little, a little box, a bread box with solar panels on the side of it, mm-hmm. but not a big honking car-shaped satellite. At the moment, I'd have to send it to the US or to the, or the Europeans to send it to space. Is that right, James? Uh, very broadly, it depends on the requirements. But yes, if you have a CubeSat, it is very difficult. There is a lot of challenges with uh, with being small. Typically, they would have to be a secondary payload, so they would ride share on a larger platform, such as a larger satellite. That's kind of problematic because it can still be very expensive. There can be long delays. There's limited access. There's long wait times. You don't have very much control. The primary payload leads the, the requirements for where exactly the satellite's going to go. And so well, your company is, is going to create a rocket that will be able to handle smaller satellites. To do what? what? What do these satellites normally do? Why would you want to have a small satellite? Like you said, there's platforms like SpaceX, Blue Origin's looking to come to market, the SLS, these large platforms 50 to 70 tonnes are looking to support the satellite market. However, there is more people getting involved in small satellite capability, and with that there's a bottleneck, and what we're looking to do is there's a little bit of a niche in there, say sub-400-kilogram market, to build a bus 
to be a dedicated launcher. Mm. So people who are developing kind of small satellite capabilities were able to put them in a particular orbit at, we're hoping, a very cheap price. So at the moment, if I wanted to put a kilogram of product into space, how much would it cost me with the technology we have at the moment? You had mentioned Rocket Lab. Mm -hmm. So they're about uh, US $32,000 per kilogram. Right, okay. That's gone up. Virgin Uh, Orbit. It it all goes up, right? Sorry, yes. sorry, pun, that, my mistake, sorry, uh, okay, yep, <laughs> continue. Pun intended. <laughs> so Virgin Orbit, they're about $40,000 US per kilogram. Mm-hmm. We're looking to halve that at about twenty twenty five. Uh, that's yeah. amazing. That's really amazing. That's that's the and I think that's the power of it. It's it's making it accessible almost to the individual person. If you wanted to send a satellite to scan the planet or to to do experiments, that starts becoming something that a company, a small company, could do, or even individuals or a group of people could put a satellite up there for, and and not bankrupt themselves. No, exactly. I mean, there's satellites that you can build up to using Arduino as a control platform for ten thousand dollars. Right. There you go. So it's it's something it, you're trying to make this technology, just like the internet has made computers accessible to everyone and knowledge accessible to everyone. You're trying to make space accessible to everyone. Exactly. I mean, it is the uh, the final frontier. <laughs> now, my idea of how a rocket works is you get a great big tube and fill it full of firecrackers, and then you light it, yes. and it and you can't put it out, and it gets to space. And it's terrifying. So you mentioned a hybrid (laughs) rocket. So can I assume that that's half firecrackers and like half sparklers or something? Essentially. um, (laughs) So kind of what you're referring to is a solid rocket. Mm -hmm. So they traditionally use a rubber-like material embedded with a solid oxidizer, and they cast that in a mould. Once you light the sparkler or the candle or that, it's not going to stop until it runs out of fuel or till it uh, explodes. Right. (laughs) I see. So then there's the other platform, which is a liquid rocket, like SpaceX or like Electron for Rocket Lab. Mm -hmm. They use a liquid oxidizer and a liquid fuel, which is uh, mixed in a chamber and then ignited, Mm -hmm. where we use a bit of both. We have a liquid oxidizer, and then we push that through a catalyst into the solid from fuel and liquid is ignited into the fuel chamber and thrust is generated. And does that allow you to control the rocket more? It's not just firing into space and saying, when the fuel runs out, that's as high as it goes. It's That is something that we are looking to explore in terms of having the capability to throttle mm-hmm. because the thrust is a function of the oxidizer flow and the, and the fuel burn rate. Mm-hmm. So with that, we'll be able to possibly tailor a mission or in the unlikely event we have a problem, mm. we just uh, re- reduce the uh, amount of oxidizers getting pumped into the system. Right. You're more at the start of what you want to do here, isn't it? This is an exciting new frontier of, of getting into space. When do you think you would have your first rocket into space? Well, I mean, space is a relative concept. <laughs> yes. uh, say above uh, 150 uh, kilometres in altitude, mm-hmm. You guys might have seen some of the successful engine test fires that we've been doing over the last six months. Yes, yes, I've seen the test fires, yes. That is to develop a capability that we will test in a sounding rocket, and that will get to around 50 kilometres in altitude. Yes. And then with that, we're looking to bring all the smarts that we've learned from that and pull that through into an orbital launch vehicle that we're hoping that we can get to space by 2020, 2021. That's not, too, that's not far away at all. Hopefully we'll do another podcast with you 
like very close yeah, to that why time. Why are you talking to us? There's so little time to get this done. <laughs> That's true. Exactly. <laughs> if you want to go fast, go by yourself. And if you want to go far, go together. And, um, you know, this is about sharing my journey with uh, with you and your listeners. That's no, fantastic. To me, it's amazing. It's about two years ago, I visited you at your land near Brisbane. And I'm just going to be honest. When I think of a space technologies corporation, your land wasn't what I was thinking about. And I'm really excited now that you've got to this level because I want the audience to know that it's not just big universities or massive corporations. You can start with a dream and work yourself forwards. Jules Verne said that anything that one person can imagine, another person can uh, can do it. I really think that they're at a tipping point with some imaginative things 50 years ago are starting to come to fruition. Mm. And I fundamentally believe that the more we explore space and understand more about ourselves, then the greater in terms of fundamental understandings of our place in the universe will come to pass. And then all the bullshit that we deal with yep. day-to-day fighting and uh, bickering <laughs> will slowly... Absolutely. No, no, and itself. if it doesn't, we really? put a bomb in the rocket. No, no, no. Those guys, no. Exactly. <laughs> no, we're not buying bombs at people. Just once again for the listeners, is your background as an astro engineer or was this something that a dream that you've like, where did this come from? How did this happen? My grandma said that I was going to be a star. I think what she really meant was for me to get <laughs> to the stars. I come from a uh, business and commerce background in business media. Upon leaving my job at Dell, I uh, embarked on this journey in, uh, in 2012. With my brother, of course, and it's been a great and bumpy ride, but I think in the last 12 to 24 months, we've really started to demonstrate some capability. And now we're looking at being It's incredible. So do you feel that you're like a lone voice in the Australian wilderness or is there support behind you? Are there people interested in what you're doing that can help you to the next stage? No, no, no rocket pun meant there, by the way. That was a... Ah, nice. Yeah, yeah thank you. <laughs> There's many layers in that, in that question. What we're trying to do is a domestic launch capability to support Australian industry. There's more and more companies who are looking at providing a satellite capability, but also abroad, given that Australia is nice to everybody, us having that capability will be able to launch other countries' mm-hmm. satellites that might have problems if they were to launch in another country. One of the biggest hurdles for us to overcome is education and awareness associated with what we're doing. A lot of people, when you talk in our context about what we're doing, think of old space, which is, I think, ignorant, and some of the hard heads mm. need to see it to believe it. And what we're looking to do is kind of show and, and prove in terms of um, Australian space Capability, I really think the winds of change Mm. are here, and it's great to see some of those winds of change taking the form of an announcement of an Australian Mm -hmm. space agency. However, we cannot have another level of bureaucracy. We need an executive to be able to harbour and foster Mm. innovation. Let people who are excited to get it done get it done and don't try and control it on a governmental level. I mean, obviously protection, and so it's not dangerous, but not lock down what you want to do safely. Well, if you you look at the current rules that bind us in terms of some Mm. legislation, they are Mm -hmm. unfit for purpose. And virus and draconian. They are definitely looking at modifying that. So, if you just built the rocket and launched it into space, what are some of the laws that you would be breaking? <laughs> it depends. If you've got a good enough lawyer nowadays, you're still 
seem to be able to do a lot of harm and, <laughs> and get away with it. But we're looking, we're looking to do it the right You'd way. You want to do it between um, the hours of uh, eight in the morning and ten o'clock at night because it's too loud. Night, That's obviously yeah. one of the laws you'd be worried yeah. about. <laughs> yes, it's about having clear airspace. It's about having an acceptable mm. level of risk. It's about doing your due diligence. It's about environmental kind of profiles. There are a number of factors at, at play, particularly with location. But, yeah, look, we're looking to work with the authorities for this upcoming mm. launch and then hopefully some things change in the next nine months that will really help oh, push yeah, you, things you along. You don't need a launch us. pad. Like, you can't just drag it out into the car park, I'm assuming. You need to find the right place to launch it. Uh-huh. So that's why we're developing a mobile launch capability. Oh, nice. <laughs> yes, yes. Touche. Flatbed truck. Yeah, flatbed truck that will uh, transport and house the rocket and uh, a mobile ground control system that will facilitate the loading, unloading, pressurisation and uh, ensure that it's uh, an effective launch. So, yeah, we're, we're bringing the, 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 the mobile launch capability. Now, though it wasn't uh, an important part of the mission, something that the SpaceX people did was they put a Tesla in their Tesla car in as the ballast weight for their rocket. And, of course, that's what the whole universe focused on. I was like, oh, my goodness, there's a car in space. So there's something uh, – are you yes. going to try and come up with a cool thing for when you when you sort of launch yours into orbit – Something cool at the front of yours, like a big koala or something like that? Or Look, I was just thinking a jar of Vegemite. <laughs> Love it. Because uh, we should just get rid of it yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Shoot, send, shoot it all into no. space. Anyone who's tasted it knows no, no, no. that does not belong here on Earth. <laughs> we'll send it back for where it came from. <laughs> Vegemite's great space food. <laughs> I know it's not an important thing to worry about the, that, but I was just like, we have to have something cool to send into space. Can you also talk with, with Gilmore Space Technologies? You're, you work with um, other countries as well, so you work with the Philippines, I do believe? No, we have an office in Singapore. Sing- oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, goodness me. Yes. Bad, no, Greg fine. is bad, bad at research, obviously. Singapore. Bad at geography. Bad at geography. No, I've just, we're just upset all our listeners. So you, you have connections with the universities at Singapore, and you're not just working on rockets. You also develop other like Mars-based technologies as well too, don't you? Uh, yeah, look, we do have a number of things. We've developed some additive manufacturing capability. And through the uni, we were able to develop a, a Mars rover prototype. <laughs> I just love that. Um, <laughs> so you developed a Mars rover prototype. So what was what did yours do, or what did you want it to do? There is hydrogen in the regolith. Of regolith is a fancy term for for uh, Mars soil, right. and we're exploring the capability of heating and extracting the hydrogen from the soil composition to to make water. And so this was just a technology demonstrator. Could, and, and so could you do it? Could you make water just by heating hydrogen yes. out of soil? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes. That's, yeah. that's very, very, that's super, super exciting. So yeah. where do you see yourself, James? So at the moment you're ready to send up a sounding rocket. Can you explain what a sounding rocket yep. actually is, please, just for, for the audience who, who have never heard the term before? There's rockets that go into space. There would what be defined as a orbital-class vehicle. And then there's sounding rockets don't have the power or the speed to leave Earth's atmosphere. So essentially their profile is to go up and to go down in a particular area. And that can be used for any number of things, for education, for scientific and testing purposes. Mm-hmm. It is exposed to elements that one would... Um, be involved with if they were actually going into space. So if it goes up and comes back, then maybe a jar of Vegemite yes. shouldn't... It, maybe it should be a boomerang. 
Possibly. I wouldn't want it to come back to where we launched it from. That would be <laughs> oh, pretty, no, that would be uh, a... That would be a... British ca- British carry. Yeah. <laughs> so that's part of yeah. the... It got really small, now it's getting bigger again. Yeah. <laughs> it's not straight up and straight down. So Sounding Rocket is the first tech. Okay, I understand that now. So in 10 years' time, where do you see Gilmore Space Technologies? Where would you like to be at at that point? Uh, in 10 years' time? Who knows? The pun intended, the sky's uh, the limit. I'd love to be able to support the Australian domestic market and also compete globally and internationally. I'd like to employ 10 years' time, geez, over 5,000 employees, both domestically and abroad. In five years, I'd like to be doing human spaceflight. Will you be going? Will you be going, James? Of course. Oh, <laughs> Of course, I'm going to be flying it, mate. Um, one's got to take risks. I'll take a higher risk profile than the average hunter. Why not? Yeah. It's yours. It's yours. It's your technology, I guess. You, you have to trust it. I, I noticed exactly. that another person built yeah. his own rocket recently. He was promoting flat oh, earth oh, science dear. and made a steam rocket. Yes. Mm. I was hoping he would win the Darwin Award. <laughs> Harsh but and, fair. Uh, yeah. yeah, but anyway, we'll that. <laughs> fair, mate. Come on, you know. The world's flat, you're an idiot. Well, this is true. The world is definitely not flat. Although what I heard was that he promoted that way and got a lot of funding from mm. Flat Earthers, but he hadn't actually been really yeah. thinking to Flat Earth until he realised that that was an excellent source of money. <laughs> what he really wanted to do yes. was get into a steam rocket. Yes. And he did, a... and then he landed, and he milked a bunch of idiots for their money. That's true. So kudos to that guy. Yeah. He damaged his back quite badly too. Kudos to him. Anyway, (laughs) the guy survived. That's a win. Did you see what he did? Oh, my God. (laughs) So we're not trying to... So James won't be going up on a dangerous, terrifying steam rocket, of course. That'll be... No, his his is a dangerous uh, hybrid one, which with gunpowder and sparklers and stuff. I was listening... No, no. So, mate, the reason why we chose hybrid rocket technology is because traditionally they're a lot less uh, volatile and risky. So, okay. well, there, excellent. There you go. And you know, in the unlikely event something happens, you turn off your oxidizer flow rate. So, mm. so you actually see yourself able to go into space at some point. That's that's where you see the technology taking you. One hundred percent. I wouldn't amazing. be doing this unless unless it was going to be a platform for us to achieve that. That's amazing. I so 50, 60 years ago, we required governments and tens of thousands of people to get us yes. into space. But now you, with a little company like you, we've got all this technology that allows a small group of to sort of to do the same thing. What is the advances in technology that have allowed that? Well, exactly. I don't think it's about the advances in technology. I think that we call it as a space renaissance that no longer is space access defined by government and government organisations. It's getting defined by the private industry. Guys like Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Bob Bigelow, James Cameron, and all these successful businessmen in their own right who are investing a significant amount of money and developing a capability. It was great for everybody to poo-poo Elon Musk about a decade ago, but he is fundamentally changing the game, and he will be putting a human on Mars within the next decade. Mm. I noticed that when he launched one of his rockets, Boeing got on Twitter and went, oh, we're going we're gonna to beat you to Mars, Elon. And he's like, oh, my plan's working. Yeah, I think he wrote back and went, good, I'll see, you know, get the race is on sort of thing. So <laughs> his thing always seems to be, I'm not going to beat you. His thing is, I'd love, to, I'd love for you to to, to do this because everyone should be doing this. I always like his attitude. No, exactly. I, I think there has been also a fundamental shift between you know innovative companies being able to compete with large primes 
who tend to take up a lot of the funding available for space exploration. Mm. It is an exciting time. It's one of those things, I'm glad that I'm seeing it. I'm glad we can talk to people like yourself and you can see these amazing things happening around the world. I just wish it had happened 20 years earlier. I just wish there hadn't been all this downtime because I'm getting a bit long in the tooth and I just worry that I won't be able to get into space cheaply. I, I will happily, well, not happily, I, I will I will with trepidation put myself forward for an early one of your flights. Not the first one, but I will happily... Sure. I'll happily put myself on scene. Look, I'm brave. I'm not I that think, brave. Um, <laughs> I think fundamentally, two decades ago, there was three things that was meant to come to light. There was electricity that was too cheap to meter. There was three-day-long weekends, and there was trips to the moon. Mm. Now, the only one that I think is going to happen within this next decade is human space flight. Mm. And I think there has been a fundamental shift in terms of technology and capability and people being innovative and just because something was done in a certain way 20, 30 years ago doesn't mean that it has to be done the same way now. I think about 10 years ago, what what defined an entrepreneur as a person that take risk? Now it's got a different kind of meaning behind it. Mm. And I, I think at the end, end of the day that anything is possible providing that there is some guidelines or parameters that enables people to be innovative and isn't onerous or draconian. Mm. So I think the way to change it here. For our listeners who are listening right now and they're thinking to themselves, well, that's all fine for James Gilmore and, you know, he's created this thing and he's going to put rockets up, but that's obviously he must have had a help up or, you know, whatever money or whatever it was or, you know, like the right people. I can't possibly do it, you know, person X. What do you say to them? Like, could anyone do what you're doing with the right perseverance or, like, is it something, basically, is it possible that people can now start entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur in areas that... 20 years ago, you just wouldn't be able to do. I'm banking and hoping not every man and his bloody dog starts a propulsion company. Um, <laughs> Good point. I, do, so, I, I retract do, my statement. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I don't know what you're getting at. I mean, um, there are a lot of what I call PowerPoint warriors out there who have very pie-in-the-sky ideas that lack execution or the capital behind it. Mm. We're in a society where there's more and more opportunities for, for, for people who have innovative ideas to look at funding. Mm-hmm. We obviously, and my brother more so, were able to invest our own capital into mm. the business to, to, uh, to start it. Mm. But I think there are many you know, opportunities who have ideas to look at there's a number of options. You have to do due diligence. I mean, you can't just have something that doesn't have any substance. I mean, mm. people have to have an adequate business plan, have a good pitch. Yes. Yep. Obviously, securing capital is a number number of things. There, there's a, there's a there's a myriad of things that have to happen in order to uh, start a business. Mm. And sometimes people think that having an idea is going to lead to some bearing some fruit from that from that idea, but it's it's not the case. It's mm. it's uh, it's very hard. I've been doing. Mm. This shit since uh, 2012. We're only now starting fruit from our labour. Yeah, James. James, we've been talking about Vegemite and and boomerangs as the payload, but you just said it. You just put the nail on the head. You said it. You said pie in the sky. We need to put hey. a meat pie in the sky, <laughs> mate. They've already done that on a hot air balloon. Oh, there you go. Yeah. You can go higher. Who cares it? about air balloons? Like, They're 200 years old. Yeah. Right. You can put it into, and if you get it in the pie, yeah. uh, into the sunlight, it would heat. 
You have a, like the perfectly heated pie in space. Stupid <laughs> I love going back, going back before the, the pie comment. I, I think it's important to, as you pointed out, it's like, I don't know who said it originally, but the whole concept of 1% inspiration, 90, 99% perspiration. There's a lot of hard work that needs to be put into it. And it sounds like you and your brother are putting a lot of this hard work into it. Oh, look, uh, none of this has happened overnight. It'd be great if I had, had the time to, to look after myself in terms of, you know, um, building a family and whatnot. Mm. I think all good things come uh, uh, to those away. But if you think that, you know, something like this is going to come from nothing, you're unrealistic and you've got to have a hard look at yourself. Mm. What's the next step for Gilmore Space Technologies? What's the next thing you're going to be building, testing, creating? We're scaling up to a longer duration test fire in hopefully the next four weeks. Should that go well, then we'll be able to put that onto a flight motor, another test. Subject to that being successful, we'll be able to start, as we already have, gathering the components for a sounding rocket, assembling them and then working on our ground station and then and then uh, firing that, recovering that, getting good pictures and, and showing the world <laughs> about it. And then our next major hurdle is securing investment. Oh, it's just super exciting. I'm so excited by this whole situation. So are you working with other groups at the moment or is it all just done in-house? Oh, look, I mean, we can't do this in-house. A lot of it in-house, but we are engaging with CSIRO, a bit of work with University of Queensland, Queensland University of Technology, Griffith University. A big shout-out to TAFE, Queensland as well. Mm. Yeah, and when I say that fundamental input of going far is together, together, I mean it. Mm. Ironically, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. (laughs) Hey, possibly. (laughs) (laughs) that's a good answer that one so is there a book that that you have read uh that changed your life was very super important to you that you think other people should know about your listeners and yourself can google leo on the cheap so that's Mm l-e-o on the cheap so lower on the cheap yep Yep. exactly excellent that's uh, a good source of information talks about the traditional high cost associated with launch it really was a great kind of catalyst for us to be doing what we're doing. Fantastic. I'm so glad you explained what Leo stood for because in my mind it was just like this this salty guy with a moustache with the a book who just like, Chapter yes. 4, Space Travel, Chapter 5, yes. Becoming a, a Restaurateur. It's <laughs> like, oh, jeez, I hope that's a good chapter. I think obviously Elon Musk's book's also a great read, uh, but it depends how you know, fundamental they want to get involved. Sure. I think the start people out with Leo on the cheap is a great place for anyone who's interested in learning about space flight and the cost therein. So we may have to end it there, James. Thank you very much for, no for your time uh, and, uh, no and and the best of luck with your test fires. And we're looking forward to getting back to you in a couple of years' time Thank you. when you finally get into low Earth orbit. Don't, don't be afraid not to reach out. You know, every month we're doing something pretty cool. Yeah, happy to keep you. If you guys want to follow up me, uh, keep, keep in touch. We certainly will. And for our audience, if you wanted to go to their website, it's a gspacetech.com. So one word, gspacetech.com, and have a look at Gilmore Space uh, Technologies. And it'll be in the show notes. In the show notes as well, of course. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you to James for talking to us about, about Gilmore Space Technologies and the future of space. Now, since that interview... Oh, he's, he's, I mean, you know, he's, he was all right, I guess. He was talking about a thing. I mean, it's it's not brain surgery, is it? Rocket science. Well, it's, ro- it's, ro- it's rocket science. It's literally <laughs> rocket science, Dan. It's literally rocket science. 
But I, I actually heard this week that the Australian Space Agency is going to be well, – information is going to be announced very, very soon. So probably by the next podcast we put out after this one, there will be some more information about the Australian Space Agency, which is going to be amazing. Uh, don't know what it is yet. Don't know how much information, but it should be coming up. So this stuff's really heating up. It's a thing. It's not just nebulous in the in the pipeline. It's, it's going to happen faster than we think, which the, is kind of cool. The idea of a spaceport in Australia has always been this joke thing, this – joke piece of infrastructure building but the notion that it's happening i mean that's it's like space age it's yes it's like it's like utopia coming true yeah otherwise you've got to wait for another country to do it and you've got to pay a country to to do it for you and that's kind of silly if you can do it yourself then do it yourself we we probably don't need like a cape canaveral system or you know sending humans into space kind of stuff we we probably don't need that but we probably need doing it from a mobile launch thing and that sounds well that's yeah that's i want to see that and that's maybe that's where you do it also satellites it's also tracking stations there's a lot more than just sending people and things into space uh, that australian space agency be involved in so I'm, i'm i'm excited i think it's i think it's useful it's good to spend the funds even on a small level, to work with other groups and give your expertise of Australians to the rest of the world and have them come here as well. So I'm all for it. I'm I'm excited. Hopefully by next podcast we can have a chat about that. Cool beans. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately... Never tell me the odds. Well, pretty much 100%, actually. Wait, what? Well, the asteroids are millions of kilometres apart, so assuming a pilot is awake, anything less than a complete idiot would be a... See? Now my clever piloting sounds much less exciting. I told you not to tell me the odds! What can't you freeze? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a quick game of What Can't You Freeze? the game show where we ask you what can't you freeze now first contestant this week it's make him welcome it's greg Wah. oh thanks thanks everyone thanks for thanks for having me on the show so oh, greg what do you do for a livelihood i um i podcast i'm a podcaster i i help me i oh, understand God. that you're an astronomer oh, oh, oh yeah there's that too i'm more of a podcaster though i like to think out this is how i make my living yeah how's that I'm working so out for you Oh, God, help me. <laughs> I guess you've always wondered, can you freeze a microphone? I, I, um... Let's move on! No? Are you ready to play the first round of What Can't You Freeze? Sure, okay. Right, the yes. first round of What Can't You Freeze. Can I, I, I realise I've picked a character voice. It's going to be very hard for the rest of this, this segment. Maybe you should clear your throat. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, you're right. Thank you very much. It's, that's much better. I, that's my natural voice, finally. It's, uh, that's excellent. You Actually, really are a I podcaster. Will, I will admit, I will admit, I've had a cold for the last week, so this is actually much easier. Let's to move do on to the first round. Okay, let's go. The color segment is over. All right, round number one. Can you freeze water? A, yes. B, no. C, maybe. Or D, it's complicated. I'm going to say D, it's complicated. You want to lock that in? Yes, I'm going to lock it in D. Oh, the answer is A, yes. You can yeah. freeze water. It is well, the most obvious one on the board. Yes, you yeah, can that's... freeze water. Okay, 
Okay, round number two. Can you freeze fire? Can you freeze fire? Oh, what options do I have? Hmm? Oh, you just have what to answer the question. Well, so well, last time it was multiple choice, but then now, now you just need to answer the question. Do you want me to write an essay? I can write a short answer essay if that's what you want. That's very unhelpful in an audio format. <laughs> hang on, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it now. Hang on, hang on. Theater of the mind, ladies and gentlemen. Theater of the mind. All right, okay. Now I'll read it out. Uh, the answer is no. Why not? Hang on, that's a, that's a separate because it's a it's a process. Fire's a process, not a thing. Oh, let's go to the board to see what whether fire is a process. Twenty-one people agree. Fire is a process. Congratulations. You have twenty-one people in your room. I can't, where are they? We Dan? did a survey. Survey says fire oh. is a process. Excellent. Okay, can you freeze nitrogen? Can you freeze can you... nitrogen? Uh, I'm going to say yes. That is the correct answer. Woohoo! You could put nitrogen in liquid helium or put it in a vacuum, which allows the hottest molecules to escape as a gas and leaves the coolest to become a frozen foam or a nitrogen use- glass. I used to use it all the time in my last job doing science-y kind of fun demonstrations for kids, and it was a lot of fun until I accidentally forgot to wear my gloves and it's in front of like hundreds of children, reached over, gra- grabbed a flask, which was sitting at negative 189 degrees Celsius, I do believe, and froze the skin off my hand. But you can't scream in front of five-year-olds and six-year-olds because it'll upset them. So I just casually, while smiling and still talking, unpeeled my own skin from the flask and put it down later on. And no one ever noticed, except one teacher who came up at the end and went, I saw everything. Are you okay? I'm like, I'm in a lot of pain. But yes, professionalism and also unprofessionalism in one in one story. Gregoire, you really are smart enough to know better. <laughs> well, good news, you've completed a square and you win an immunity token and you can choose to go to the next question. I, I'll do that. Let's go. All right. Quick. Can you freeze ennui? Can you freeze ennui? Now, you do so... have the op- option to call a lifeline. You have three people on your lifeline. You've got Steve Eichenhout, Matthew Toy, or Alana Mitchell. Oh, okay. So which of these three people, if you're going to phone a lifeline, is most adept at ennui? <laughs> I will go for the first person. Okay, so you're not going to answer the question yourself? Oh, fine. No, fine. Answer myself. Okay, because I, I, I probably can't get in contact. I'm very confused what's going on right now. Ennui, so long. I'm going to say no, you can't freeze ennui. Correct. An emotional state is not a substance, so it's impossible to freeze. I keep, I keep, feeling, I keep feeling that there's going to be some sort of gotcha question or some game to this, but it's actually much more simple than I think. As are we all. <laughs> Can okay. you freeze helium? Can you freeze helium? Ooh, solid helium. I'm going to say yes. Helium remains a liquid at zero Kelvin. My at goodness normal me. normal pressures. But Ooh, can uh, freeze at about 2.5 megapascal of pressure. That is the correct answer. Woohoo! So it's, 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 not, it's complicated. Or maybe. That's yes. It's yes. You can freeze oh, cool, helium cool. under the, yes. the correct conditions. Right. Okay, right. Okay, sure. Good, good. Phew. Okay, the final question. Excellent. Can you freeze pay? Can you freeze pay? Can you freeze someone's pay? Correct. Right. Uh, 
Yes. In a, in a system of economic downturns, you could make sure someone to make sure they get money. I don't know. I don't know. Economics is not a science. So I don't know. Uh, more information, please. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, you can freeze someone's pay because you're trying to get the country back on track. So you think that by not paying everyone else, then you can keep all the money to yourself and pay off all the country's debts, which probably doesn't work. Austerity, uh, something, something, something. I don't know. I'm not an economist. I don't know. All right. Hang on. I'm just going to talk to the show judges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've been talking to me about theater of the mind. He, he he literally just held up a phone to his ear, a, f- a mimed phone. Didn't even make a noise. It, it was a real phone. Noise. It was a real well, phone, a real ladies phone. and gentlemen. No it's a real there, phone. Dan. A real director's call. <laughs> All right. The director says, uh, and it's actually your boss from your day job as an astronomer. Oh. Uh, oh, no. She says she can and has frozen your pay and that she's sorry oh. you had to find out this way. <laughs> Damn it. Thank you for playing. What can't you freeze? I'm so confused. What's going on? Do I still have a job? You have f***ed me, Gregoire. You have f***ed me. Uh, this, this, this escalated quickly. What's I going on? I put you in charge of the Patreon stuff. Oh, yes. And as a throwaway joke last time, we're like, oh, if you pay 20 bucks a month, Dad's going to insult you. And I'm like, ha, 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 ha. And you said, oh, I'm doing that. And I'm like, oh, all right, all right. Well, you know, I'll call Michael Barnes a and then, you know, that'll be it. I look at the Patreon. Yes. We have just... Heaps of people who are paying like five bucks a month in order to. Oh, oh, yeah, it's amazing. We have to read their names out on the podcast now. It's true. And the thing is, they've subscribed. That's every single episode. We're going to be reading people's names. That's going to be so boring. It's like, going to be an hour of people's names. I know, I know. Yeah, we're, like, we're going to have to surreptitiously put people's names into the podcast now, no like scatter them that. through. Yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll be totally, totally... Like, if we do um, a happy. thing about, like, lifelines on a game show, like, oh, we're going to have to put their names in. Absolutely. And, like, and which I'll pick up a... on very quickly and won't screw it up. That'll be fine. Be easy, easy, simple. But that's not even the worst part. That's not the worst <laughs> part. I'm up to my waist in $5 bills. It's like Scrooge McDuck's money bin here. I can't <laughs> get anywhere for all of the wealth that's been generated. <laughs> We we are very very excited that so many people have joined up as comedy blimp crew members. So basically, the five dollar level. We we only. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm excited in the same way as oh, don't get yourself so excited, Dan. I'm excited. But we are. Thank you, everyone, for for joining in. Our Patreon only just launched. Uh, it's been really successful, much more successful than we wanted it to be. Not wanted to be. That's a weird way of putting it. But we expected it to be. So thank you very much, everyone, for joining in. What's weirder though is we've got quite a few people who have joined at the how to stay humble level, which I thought was a joke level, which was for fifteen dollars a month. Dan would insult you. Why would anyone want that? We even wrote it on the Patreon. Why would you want this? Why would but you want people? This? Four people. I have to people. insult this episode. And the thing is, <laughs> I can't just go, oh, yeah, he's a dick. What you've put on the website is I have to do research and find their Achilles heel and really yes. make them feel bad about himself. Yes. Like, I was this trying is, to make sure that people didn't do it. This is not the tone that I want to, like, I want this podcast to be nurturing and exciting about stuff. I don't want to be picking people who adore us and, like, just whittling them down, causing them to, like, step off a bridge or something. But that's what I have to do. We didn't think this through. We didn't. We didn't think this through. So it's fun. Eric yep. Wilson. Yes. Eric Wilson once sent us an email and said this to us. He said, "Listen to every episode more than once. 
Haha, not sure why I put myself through the misery. <laughs> oh, well, now I've changed my tune. Now, now the gloves are off. Now I've got a bit more excited about abusing people. <laughs> Okay. You might remember Eric, because Eric was one of the people who said he'd love to catch up with us in the US oh, yes. as we passed through. Uh, and yes, we yes. both passed through Utah. And you know what, Eric? I intentionally avoided Salt Lake City just to avoid having to see your stupid face. $15. Well, $15. Okay, excellent. That's very good. And, and, I, and I, can I just point out that I also went through Salt Lake City, and I went so far. I went from the lovely parts, which are Yellowstone and then the Grand Tetons, and I went into Salt Lake City, and I just stayed there quickly overnight, hid in my hotel room, and then flew out straight away. There you go. Didn't even didn't, – that's your fault, Eric. Your fault. What Not because doing, I ran out of time. Greg? Why would you say that to our audience member? He didn't, he didn't ask for that. He didn't pay for oh. that. He's paying oh. for me to abuse him, but that's oh. just that's just for free. You're just oh. a prick. Oh no! <laughs> Jeez, I, I'm doing this against. Like they've had to pay me to do something that is so against what I want to do. <laughs> okay, Daniel Tuttle, Dan in Japan. Yes, uh, I thought oh, we'd Dan lost. Japan. I thought we'd lost him forever because yes, so I haven't right. heard from him for ages. Yeah, yes. that's right. And also, because I sent I sent prizes to him in the past, and they kept bouncing back. Dan, what's going on? He moved anyway. to a different country. That'd be it then. Yeah, he became Dan in China for a while. Uh, yeah, Dan, your limericks sucked, and I was embarrassed to have to include them in the show. And back then, the quality of the show was pretty iffy, so your limericks must have been that bad. <laughs> Hang on. So you're insulting people by insulting us and saying they're worse than us? Yeah. Oh, that Greg and Dan are crap, and you're worse than them. That makes you super crap. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> All right, Dustin Fallon donated $15 this month. Oh, oh, Dustin Fallon. Oh, he must be real smart. He with his degree in aeronautical science from Letourneau University. Oh, he must be real smart. Not smart enough to get a job in aeronautical science at Mr. Assistant Manager at Walmart. Can't even oh. manage a Walmart by himself. <laughs> Oh, you paid for this, bad. you numbskulls. Yeah, you feel bad. I had to do this. <laughs> I feel bad. Yeah. What have we done, Dan? Yeah. What have we done? What you have fucked me, Gregoire. No, no, no. That was, that was, that was your idea. It wasn't my idea. Don't blame me for this. Okay. <laughs> Tom Seary. Tom Seary is a cosmetic surgeon from Seattle, Washington. Tom, you shallow scumbag. You could have done work with real confidence with your skills, but you fritted it away doing ornamental bullshit, putting tits on actresses. Oh, I feel, no, this is not right. And you know know the good thing about Tom Seary is that there's like 30 different Tom Series, and I have no idea whether this is the right one. So just if he keeps subscribing for the next 30 episodes, I'm just going to be having a go at every different occupation that I find a Tom (laughs) Series attached to on the internet. (laughs) So it's like Schrodinger's insult. We're not too sure what's going on. Oh, look, thank you, everyone, very much for applying. We're going to mention people. We understand if you don't want to keep paying $15. If Also, if you want to pay more, remember, you can just go in for a lower tier and just put a larger amount. So if you want to give us more money, hey, we're... We, or if you, we're if you want me to money. stop abusing you, just send me an yeah. email. It's, this sounds like blackmail now. If you want to stop us abusing you, please send money to this address. It's um. Yeah, that weird. works for me. 
<laughs> so yes, remember you can just take a lower a lower tier and and put extra money on it. You don't have to put the same amount of money. That's just the recommended amount. But thank you very much, everyone, once again for for being involved. And well, we, we there are a couple more people to thank, aren't there? Oh, we do, we do. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep thanking them, Dan, forever yeah. and ever. That's yeah. what I'm doing. Go on, go on, Dan. There's Lindsay Jenkinson. There's someone who calls himself Gyroscope. Nice. Phil Holland. Uh, there's Natalie. Like there's girl clumsy. Like, yeah, I'm know, seeing her yeah. later today. Just give us five bucks, you numbskull. Like, <laughs> don't, if you're lunch. using, yeah, buy us lunch if you're using. But, I mean, she's always doing that too. But if you're going through Patreon, you're just <laughs> frittering away that 30 cents every yeah. something or other. Dear me. Hang on. She didn't pay 15 bucks. Why are you insulting her? Uh, that's a free. Now, she, that's now a freebie. she owes us 10 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she owes me more than that. Um... <laughs> Elizabeth Yunkin. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Oh, look, a message has just come up from Natalie. She knows that I'm talking about her. <laughs> did we say Phil Holland? We did not say Phil Holland. Phil Holland. Everyone uh, say, Phil, his name was Phil Holland. His at, name was Phil Holland. His name was Phil Holland. And Matt Ewers. Now, we have to say all of their names and anyone else who goes into the $5 tier. That's going to be so dull. So we're going to have to sneak it in through the episodes we next are. time. We're going to do, do cool stuff with people's names. Uh, if you don't want us to put your name in it, that's fine. Just send us a message or, and we'll, we'll work something out. We'll, we'll do something. And if you get annoyed, maybe you get annoyed with us. Maybe you're like, no, enough of that. So we'll, um, we'll do something cool. We'll do something cool. We're going to have no cool. Patreons after doing a fist yeah, well, yeah, don't, don't leave us. Don't leave us. We'll, we'll work it out. But also, it's going to create more content, which is kind of cool. So uh, sneak, sneak peek at the moment. There will be more content coming out for the podcast pretty damn soon because of your Patreon. Money, so thank you very much. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. Also, Greg at smartenough.org. You can follow us by going to smartenough.org and clicking on any of the social media buttons or RSS right. feeds or just chatting in our comment section. Exactly right. Facebook is now quite active. Um, we get a couple of posts up there a week. and I'm enjoying running uh, Philosophy Friday. We come up with some big question of science slash philosophy, and then people write bad jokes about it. But and the great, the great thing is the more science on Facebook, the more likely some of that science will filter through to the Trump administration via Cambridge Analytica. <laughs> Maybe, maybe that's right. Everyone's anti-Facebook. I love the fact that everyone's anti-Facebook, and that's the moment we decide to really hit out on Facebook. I'm yeah, like, yeah. We start like a week earlier, and then suddenly like, everyone's like, delete Facebook. We're like, are we that bad at what we do? Yeah. yeah. And you can join the Smart Enough Communist Party. Speaking of poorly <laughs> timed and executed. You may have mentioned, we've kind of mentioned a few times the Patreon. Go to the, the pay, our webpage, www.smartenough.org. Have a look at that. If you're like, I hate Patreon and everyone who supports it, that's fine. We have a tip jar. You can put money in the tip jar and you never have to worry about Patreon ever again. We have ways. Or if you can work out where Dan lives by the many clues we've left no, during no, other episodes. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just put money in his in his um in his uh, post box. Do not do that. That will be that will be upsetting. And not a, uh, not and upsetting a in mouse. a fun feather. Wrap a dead mouse. Don't. A, a, hey. a dead mouse in a hundred dollar note. Okay, <laughs> just look up Greg in Perth. He'll be able to sort you out with the exact address. 
That's not fair. You have to bleep all of that now. Uh, uh, you can also, if you like, buy a shirt. There are the original Smart Enough logo shirts, and there is the extra special blimp comedy blimp T-shirt illustrated right. by Have Michael Vittell. Well. And we've had people uh, buy them. People sending me messages about um, the, buying the shirt. So thank you very much for purchasing it and saying they love the shirt and they're really enjoying wearing it. People are wondering why they're wearing some sort of comedy burrito, which I thought was interesting. Com- so, yes, comedy, uh, ta- looks- uh, comedy pumpkin, I saw. Yeah, comedy pumpkin. So all these things are good. I am look. Hey, if people if people are looking at your chest and, and uh, remarking on the, the amazing size of your pumpkins, everything is good. Uh, is, uh... I would like to see a photo that is better than the photo of the original Smart Enough logo that was sent to us by some listeners who both owned the shirt and were just sitting out there with an uncracked Christmas cracker staring each other down. <laughs> that is my favourite photo that I've ever seen. That's that's because actually did the science that we did. They did the science. They did the science. They did the experiment. The Christmas cracker. Uh, every Christmas now I do that and I win all the time. It's the best. I love defeating my family at Christmas. I just sit still and let them pull on the cracker and then I win. And I get all the toys and all the hats. And I get very magnanimous and go, oh, you have the thimble. You have the little car. You have this crappy thing. I get to hand them out like Santa Claus, knowing full well I'm the master of the whole situation. Yes. Can you please pay me $15? Because I really want to abuse you. (laughs) And as we always like to say, meet pie in the sky. Uh, Australian entrepreneur going into the space field. There aren't fields in space, Greg. There are no fields in space. Magnetic fields. Magnetic fields. Quantum fields. There's lots of fields in space, in fact, Dan. I stand corrected. (laughs) So, Dan, we're here to offer exciting science commentary like that. (laughs) Sorry, Dan. Wow. (laughs) It's cold. Really laid the boot in there. (laughs) I'm sorry, Dan. There's such a thing as a poor winner, you know. We'll have a bit of a conversation. So, we'd like we. <laughs> we'll let James start. That's all right. We can do that. <laughs> I mean, See, this is the problem when you don't have video. That's right. No one knows. No one knows. Welcome no. to the. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm going to speak now. That's okay. <laughs> no, no, that's that's Greg's favourite trick at the beginning of every podcast. So I'm glad to see the shoe on the other foot finally. <laughs> that's but so you'd amazing. have to you'd have to burn it to turn it into water, wouldn't you? Like, can you harness that energy that's coming out of the soil? Like, because if, yeah, so if you if you start with Greg's looking at me like I'm insane, you start with <laughs> hydrogen, and then to get it into water, mm. that's like taking wood and turning it into charcoal because you're burning it mm. and all the energy comes off. So, is there energy coming out of that soil for it to turn into water? And could you use that energy to like do sweet donuts on Mars? <laughs> <laughs> I stand corrected, Dad. I apologise. I didn't mean to look at you like you were insane. There you go. There you go. I see what you're trying to say. I, was, no, look, I couldn't see the reasoning behind what you're supposed to say. But look, I... you know, you've had a lot of experience with me. There was no reason for you not to think I was insane. <laughs> Too easy. Cheers. Thanks. No problem. No problem. Cheers. Have a good Bye. night. Was it quick? Obviously, you needed to go very quick. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go. <laughs> I left an engine running. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hot now. <laughs> I would put it to the makers of my password program that they should use a font where the capital I's don't look like the lowercase l's. That would be a good idea. Call me Mr. Crazy Designer.
There's Lindsay Jenkinson, who I believe once uh, was playing World of Warcraft and then ran in and ran around like ignored the plans and was like, Lindsay Jenkins. That's a meme for anyone who was on the internet that's in the a, early wow. 2000s. Are we, hang on, are we, still, are we insulting them or what? No, no we're not insulting not, them. That's just, oh, okay, right. I just like the name. It's, it's oh, good. okay, yeah, it's uh, a good name. 